0: So I'd like to speak now about the joy that's associated with simplicity, renunciation. You might be aware that an uncluttered desk is actually a source of great joy, isn't it? An uncluttered closet or cupboard, when you open it and it's all nicely organized and you can find whatever you want and what you want, it's... It's it's a source of a kind of mundane sort of happiness. Similarly, an uncluttered mind, an uncluttered heart, can be a source of great joy for us. Although usually the worldly belief is that if we can get more things, we'll be happier. From the Buddhist perspective, having more and more and more, this greed and desire always for more, tends to just create busyness, agitation, conflict, and fear in the mind. Simplicity is a kind of joy. You might be familiar with the discourse from the Udana, where there was one monk who had previously enjoyed the the pleasures of kingship, of the royal life, but had ordained as a monk, and he was off in the forest, and the other monks heard him exclaiming, What bliss! What bliss! Oh, what bliss! And his companions in the holy life thought, Oh no, our friend is thinking about the bliss of kingship, the joys of the royal life, the pleasures of his past. He's going to disrobe. He's losing faith in the Dhamma. And so they rushed off to the Buddha to say, "Dear Buddha, please, our friend is, is 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 running astray, is falling astray from the path, and so the Buddha calls this venerable one to him and asks, "Is it true that you've been exclaiming, What bliss, what bliss?" And he says, "Yes, and then the Buddha asks um, and for what reason?" Were you exclaiming, oh, what bliss, what bliss? What was the meaning of this? And then he said, Before, when I was a householder maintaining the bliss of kingship, I had guards posted within and without the royal chambers, chambers within and without the city, within and without the countryside. But even though I was thus guarded, thus protected, I dwelled in fear agitated, distrustful, and afraid, but now, on going alone to a forest, to the foot of a tree, or to an empty dwelling, I dwell without fear, unagitated, confident, and unafraid, unconcerned, unruffled, my wants satisfied, with my mind like a wild deer. This is the meaning I have in mind, that I exclaim, what bliss, what bliss. I think that's a lovely little discourse. Too often, we want things that we don't have. And then once we get them, what do we have to do? We have to protect them from loss. And then we live in conflict, distress, and fear, always on the lookout for dangers that can threaten whatever possessions we have accumulated and whatever comforts we have attained. In one discourse in the Samyutta Nikaya, the serene radiance of the Buddha and his disciples was said to arise because they were not hankering after the future, nor sorrowing over the past, but by maintaining themselves with the present. Do we maintain ourselves with what is present? This describes a beautiful quality of contentment, of being able to maintain ourselves with what is present. Throughout the discourses of the Buddha, we find teachings that encourage letting go. And again and again, we find letting go, abandoning, to be a practice that is of happiness, not associated with deprivation penance or loss it's not a big struggle or hardship to let go it's in, it's said to be a source of happiness a practice of happiness one of my favorite discourses says from the samyutta nikaya says abandon what is not yours this will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time isn't this beautiful? Just abandon what is not yours. This will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. But the discourse didn't stop there. Then the question asks, and what is not yours? And the Buddha goes on to teach that basically all experience that you have ever had, are having now, and can ever have in the future This is not yours. He lists it in different discourses. He lists the system of, and what is not yours? The five aggregates affected by clinging are not yours. That means the body, materiality, feeling, perception, Thoughts, volitional formations, moods, mind states are not yours and consciousness is not yours. In another discourse it says the same thing, abandon what is not yours. This will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. And what is not yours? And then the rest of the discourse is a teaching on the sixth sense basis, which is the visual object and I and I consciousness. This is not yours. The, the sound, the ear door, the sensitivity in the ear, and ear consciousness, this is not yours. Basically, all experience is not yours. And then there's different discourses that basically address all the experiences of mind and body. This is what he's saying is not yours. It's our lived experience. This is not ours. This is all we have to abandon. And we're not getting rid of something that is ours. We're seeing it is not possessible in the first place. That's all we're asked to abandon, is we're asked to let go of what we could never grasp in the first place. What we could never in the first place claim to be mine or identify as self. That's the only thing we have to abandon. And so this teaching invites a rather profound reflection on possessiveness. Have you had any pain in the body in a meditation session? Maybe a a tightness in in the back or a burning sensation in the knee? What's the difference between possessing that? My knee hurts. And recognizing that experience is just phenomena arising and passing in the present moment. Tingling, burning, pulling, throbbing. Not I, not mine. Nothing to get all wrapped up about. You've probably had an experience like that in the development of your mindfulness of body practice. It's a similar, it points to a similar process of letting go, abandoning, the clinging to what is not ours in the first place. What about states of mind? I am sad. I am an angry person. I am a loser, I am the greatest person. All these stories and concepts of ourselves that we build up, not ours. A state of anger arises and passes away. We don't need to claim it as ours and build up a a perception of our character based upon a momentary mental state. Anger arises is known. Simple as that. It passes, gone. Maybe I'm a spiritual person. Maybe that one is really me. Right? I'm a spiritual person. Not ours. Wholesome states arising in the present moment, being known. We don't need to build up an identity of a spiritual person Go to the spiritual stores, buy the spiritual clothes, wear the spiritual colors, figure out how to fold our shawl in the most spiritual way. We also don't need to rebel against that image. That's just as much an identification. I'll never wear a shawl that way. So what? A shawl keeps us warm. Simple as that. What do we build up the image around? A lot of that is not ours. Maybe all of it's not ours. And we can use this practice of releasing, of letting go, of finding the delight and the happiness in the renunciation. Not only the renunciation of the stuff in our lives. There's so much we need less of. I was just reading an amusing article about staples. It was quite amusing, actually, and it was actually quite profound. It was a, 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 I forgot where I read it. Was it a blog post or some article somewhere? Um, And the reflection was on death, on looking at one staple collection. How many staples do you have in your desk? I mean, they come in 5,000 in a box. And how many staples do you use each year? So the article was an amusing reflection that we're going to die before we use up our staples. (laughs) That's probably true for most of us. Many of us have more staples in our desk than we'll possibly use in our entire lives. What else do we have more of than we need? What else are we accumulating and grasping onto and holding onto For what purpose? For some weird sense of security like, if only I still have staples, I won't die? Or I'll die only in comfort and bliss? No, we can share our staples, we can share our skills, we can share our assets, our wealth. Most of us have far more than we need. Can we sense the abundance of that? And realize that the renunciation doesn't, um, doesn't push things away. In Buddhism, poverty is not elevated as a noble state. It's not an anti-wealth um, position in Buddhism. If we have wealth, we use it well. It's an anti-clinging teaching. Not claiming anything to be ours that is not possessable. And nothing of matter and nothing of mind is possessible. And so this is going to be a profound reflection on the very way from the way we use staples to the liberated mind. So I'd like to do a little meditation just sitting as you are. Feeling the breath moving in the sitting posture. And let it be just that, sensations. If the little thought of I arises to claim that breath, oh, that inhalation was so nice. Or, oh, my exhalation is tight. Let go of just the I tension around it. And settle again into just the sensations in the present moment. Softness and hardness, heat and cold. Let the attention settle in the present moment, circulate through the body. Observe the mind states. Recognizing that any experience is not possessible, it arises and it passes away. A sound arises We hear, we don't claim that sound as ours, we don't become an important person because we heard it, nor are we diminished by it, it's just hearing. sometimes when we're doing walking meditation we see something a squirrel, a turkey, a deer and sometimes in the moment of seeing we might conjure up a feeling of being important because we just had that experience I got to see a deer let go of the I And let there be just the simple degree of joy of seeing without claiming it as mine. When we're sitting in meditation, we might feel something pleasant, some delight, some Rapture, who knows, some moment of tranquility, even happiness. Even that, don't claim as yours. Abandon what is not yours. And this will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time.